I grew up in an age of great entertainment. We had the comedies, Gilligan's Island, Beverly Hillbillies, Andy Griffin. We had the westerns like Gunsmoke. We had the dramas like Perry Mason and, and Dragnet. But I think my favorite was science fiction. I loved science fiction. And one of my favorite movies growing up was the original Planet of the Apes. Not the remake, but the original that came out in 1968 with Charlton Heston. It was about these astronauts that crash-landed on this hostile, what they thought was a deserted world. But they found out that it wasn't deserted. It was a world that was run by apes, and the humans were the slaves. Can you imagine getting up every morning... <coughs> Excuse me. Can you imagine getting up every morning, waking up to a world that is not your own? A world that is not only strange, but a world that is hostile. A world which in everything and everyone is living different than what you know and believe to be right. Well, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me this morning to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to begin a new series that I believe is going to be as relevant as any series that we've ever tackled in the Word of God. Now, as you can imagine, the book of 1 Peter was written by Peter. Peter and his brother Andrew had a successful fishing business when Jesus one day called them and said, Come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And the Bible says that at once they left their nets, they left their business, and they began to follow Jesus. It was Peter who, who got out of the boat on that stormy, scary night and began walking on water. It was Peter who was, when asked by Jesus at Caesarea Philippi, who do you say I am, said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter was there when, when Jesus raised Jairus' daughter to life. Peter was there when, when Jesus was transfigured on that mountain and, and all of his glory was revealed. But it was also Peter who boasted that he would never deny the Lord. And yet he denied him not once, but three different times. And it was Peter who, who Jesus took on the shore of the Sea of Galilee after the resurrection was walking with him and asked the question, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus said, well, then feed my sheep. It was Peter after the ascension of Jesus into heaven who assumed the leadership in that upper room. And it was Peter who preached that powerful message at Pentecost. I think all of us, every one of us who desire to follow Jesus can identify with Peter. Peter knew what it was to, to experience spiritual highs, but he also knew what it was to experience spiritual lows. He had a tendency to, to say things that he later regretted. At times he was hot-headed. He was oftentimes impulsive. But I got to tell you, Peter loved Jesus. And God used Peter in a mighty way. The Bible tells us, or tradition tells us, that, that Peter was eventually crucified upside down in Rome. He, he 
did not feel like he could be crucified the way that his Savior was crucified. So when they were going to crucify him, he said, crucify me upside down. Most people believe that when Peter wrote this letter to the Christians in exile, to the aliens, he was writing it from Rome. Now you may be asking, why First Peter? Why now? Why is this book so relevant to our lives today? Why, out of all the books in the Bible, have you chosen to start 2021 by looking at this book? Well, I want you to listen to two verses to try to answer that question. The first one is verse 1. Notice what Peter says. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens. Now don't miss that word, aliens. Strangers, exiles, temporary residents. The word literally is a compound word that, that, that comes from two words, to, to stand beside as a foreigner, someone who lives beside others, but it's obvious that they don't belong there. And that's what Peter said that we are. He said that we are aliens living in this world. Now turn over to chapter 2, verse 11, and listen to what Peter says there. In chapter 2, verse 11, he says, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in this world. There's that word again, aliens. And then Paul uses another word, stranger, as if to emphasize to us that this world is not our home. Paul said the same thing in Philippians chapter 3. He said, we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. The author of Hebrews said the same thing in Hebrews 13. He said, for this world is not our permanent home. We're looking forward to a home that is yet to come. I want you to listen to me. This world in which we now live, it will never be our home. The Bible says that we are aliens here. We are strangers here. We are temporary residents. And most of the problems we have as Christ followers are the result of us trying to make this temporary dwelling place our permanent home. You see, we get too comfortable. We want to fit in. We want to make this world our home. And that's where the trouble starts. Someone explained it this way. They said, when you're living in a country that is not your own, you can live in one of three ways. First of all, you can live as an immigrant. An immigrant is someone who seeks to make the new country their permanent home. They're not from there, but they want to make that new country their home. And that's what a lot of Christians do when it comes to this world. We know in our head That this world is not our home. We know in our hearts that we're made for something else. And yet we treat this world as if this world is where we really want to live. And so we use most of our resources to, to make for a comfortable life down here. We obsess with our reputation here. We stress over the things that we have and we don't have down here. Am I ever going to get married? Is my ship ever going to come in? Am I going to experience all of these things that I haven't yet experienced? Why is my life so hard? That's living as an immigrant. 
The second way that we can live in a world that is not our home is as a tourist. Now, a tourist is the opposite of an immigrant. A tourist doesn't want to live in the new country. They're just visiting the new country. And so as a tourist, they don't form any real connections. They, they stayed huddled in their groups, their tour groups. They're looking, they're watching, they're observing, but they're really never engaging the world. And this is the attitude that, that some Christians have toward our world. They live separated. They never get involved. They feel no connection to the world or the problems in the world. And just as we're not to live as immigrants, we're not to live as tourists. You see, Peter gives us a third option. He tells us that we are to live as aliens. We are to live as exiles. An exile is someone whose home is somewhere else. But for an unidentified amount of time, they make their home in a new place. And so, they invest in this new world. They form relationships in it. They learn the culture, but they never get too attached. And all the while, they are looking forward to that day when they can go home. You see, Christians who live in exile are not focused on owning a lot because this world is not our real home. We're satisfied with, with enough just to get by because our real treasures are somewhere else. It's kind of like when you go to the airport. If you go to the airport, you'll, you'll discover a lot of little shops in the airport with overpriced items in those shops. And those overpriced items in those shops in that airport are so that you can buy some necessities, some essentials that will make your travel a little more comfortable as you head to your final destination. What you won't find in those shops are shopping carts. And the reason is you're not loading up on things. All you're doing is getting enough just to get by as you go to your final route, your real home. You see, what Peter wants us to do as followers of Jesus is change our mindset when it comes to the world around us. He wants us to understand that this world is not our home, so we shouldn't be obsessed with our experiences here, what we have and we don't have. And we don't let it bother us when the people of this world are different than us. That's what we should expect. We're aliens. We're exiles. We live under a different kingdom. We live with a different set of values. We have a different king. And so when we look at people in the world, we shouldn't expect them to live like us and look like us and act like us because they're not like us. We're from a different place and we're going to a different home. Now, the key verse in this series is found in verse 6. I want you to listen to what Peter says. He says, so, so be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. Now, Peter starts with the positive. We have a lot to look forward to. The joy that we have ahead of us is greater than anything that this world has to offer, but... We will go through many trials before that joy is fully realized. You see, Peter didn't want to sugarcoat 
what these Christians were going to go through, what they were about to face. Most people believe that, that Peter wrote this when, when Nero was beginning his persecution. These believers had already faced personal persecution and local persecution, but it was about to get worse. I mean, literally, all hell was about to break loose against the church. They were going to experience the loss of property, the loss of their reputation. Many of them were going to lose their lives in horrific, horrible ways. Because of their faith in Christ, some would be fed to the lions in the Colosseum. Others would be covered to, with pitch, tied to a pole, lit on the fire to light up the emperor's garden. Some would be, would be sewn into the skins of dead animals and then wild dogs would be set on them. These Christians were going to face terrible things simply because of their faith in Jesus. And yet, Peter said, be glad. It's temporary. There's wonderful joy ahead. Don't focus on the present struggles. Focus on the future joy. Keep your eyes and your heart focused on what is ahead. Now to those who have not been born again, this makes no sense. But Peter goes on and he says, rejoice in the midst of your trials. How? And why? I mean, why should we rejoice in the midst of suffering? I mean, I understand endure. Endure suffering. Push through suffering. But rejoice? I mean, why in the world should we rejoice when suffering comes? Well, Peter answers that in verse 7. Listen to what he says. He says, their purpose, the trials, the difficult times, the suffering that we go through because of our faith, their purpose is to prove that your faith is genuine. You see, your faith isn't tested when things are going great, when revival is being experienced, when your beliefs and values are held in high esteem in the culture, when you're on top, when your team is winning. It's when your faith is mocked. It's when your values are despised. It's when your life and your livelihood are in jeopardy. That's when your faith is proven. That's when your faith is tested. That's when you see whether it's genuine. You see, our enemy wants to use the trials and the troubles that we go through to bring out the worst in us. But God wants to use them to bring to the surface the best in us, to show the world what we're really like. Now listen, I'm not a prophet. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know what next week holds. And you can go online and you can go on Christian television and you can hear all kinds of people tell you all kinds of things about what's in store in the future. And I'm here to tell you, no one knows what's going to happen in the future. We could face immense, horrible persecution beginning tomorrow, or we could go through an incredible revival beginning tomorrow. We don't know what the future holds. But what I do know is this. Regardless of what tomorrow holds, this world is not our home 
And this world will always be hostile to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, how do we survive in a hostile world? That's what 1 Peter is all about. I want to give you the first thing this morning. And that is this. If we're going to survive in a hostile world, we've got to remember who we are. We've got to remember what we've experienced. We've got to hold on to our salvation. Now, Peter tells us a lot in these first 12 verses, but there are three things that I think are vital that I want you to grab a hold of. Here's the first thing. Peter tells us that we have been chosen by God. Let that sink in. You have been chosen by God. Listen to verses 1 and 2. He says, I'm writing to God's chosen people. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago. And his spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. Now, I don't know how that makes you feel. But I got to tell you, that blows me away. To think that the God of all creation chose me to be his very own blows me away. Now, if you're like most of us, you know what it's like to not be chosen. Perhaps you can remember as a kid on the playground, uh, the, the kids choosing up teams to play a game. And the first kids that were chosen were the popular kids, the good-looking kids. And then the next kids that were chosen were the athletic kids. And then hopefully, everybody else. And maybe you can remember sitting there as the teams were being chosen and this person was chosen and that person was chosen and you were sitting there waiting, hoping, praying that you would be chosen. Maybe for you it happened as a teenager when everybody else was getting ready to go to the prom or to go to a party, but you weren't invited. You were left out. Maybe for some of us here it happened as an adult. No matter how hard you tried, you just couldn't seem to break through. You just couldn't seem to climb over that wall that was built. Here's what I know. Every one of us in this room have either experienced what it's like to be rejected or we know someone who knows what it's like to be rejected. But here's the good news. God doesn't reject anyone. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how you look, how smart you are, how talented you may be, God will never reject you. God chose you on the playground he made you his first round draft pick for the prom he chose you to be his date let that sink in and listen he chose you long ago he chose you before you were ever born he chose you before you made any choices of your own, good or bad. God chose you. That lets you know 
that salvation doesn't begin with you. Salvation begins with God. God always makes the first move. He always has. And he always will. Adam and Eve defiantly rebelled against God. And what did God do? God killed an animal and made skins to cover them. And then he promised them that a seed of woman would come who would make everything right. The Bible says even before the foundation of the world God chose you, before God ever made anything, he knew the cost. And he chose to create you and love you nevertheless. Oh, dear brothers and sisters, listen. God loves you so much that he chose you and he wants you to be a part of his family. And notice what he chose you for. And look what it says in verses 1 and 2. He didn't choose you to make you happy. Though his choosing of us will make us happier than anything that this world can offer. And he didn't choose us to give us a home in heaven. Though we will have a home in heaven forever. The Bible says here that God chose us to make us holy. God chose us to restore what we lost at the fall. Over and over in Scripture we're told to be holy because God is holy. But the only way, the only way that you and I can ever become holy is through the blood of Jesus. Our only hope for holiness is the blood of Jesus. Jesus' blood applied to our lives can do what our efforts can never do, transform us and make us holy. And notice the result. Peter says the result is obedience. As a result of being made holy, we obey. You see, we don't obey God so that we can be saved. We obey God because we are saved. Now, I don't obey God because I want to be good enough to go to heaven. I obey God because his grace and his mercy has been poured out on me. And I have no option but to obey him. A.W. Tozier said it this way. The truth is that salvation apart from obedience is unknown in sacred scripture. You've been chosen by God. He chose you to make you holy. He did this through the blood of Jesus. And because of that, you obey him. We have been chosen. The second thing Peter says is this. We have been born into God's family. Look at verse 3. He says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again. Because God raised Jesus from the dead, now we live with great expectation I love how the Living Bible translates verse 3. It says, for, for it is his boundless mercy that has given us the privilege of being born again so that we are now members of God's very own family. We've been chosen by God and we've been born into his family. Do you remember the conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus, the religious leader? Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Unless you're born again, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. And Nicodemus said, but how? How can a man be born again? And Jesus 
gave those incredible words. He said, flesh gives birth to flesh, but my spirit gives birth to spirit. Don't be surprised that I say you must be born again. You see, the new birth is a supernatural event in which God's spirit comes to live in our lives. We are born into Adam's family, sinners separated from God. But because of God's great mercy, we have been given the privilege to be born into God's family. Now, there are two things you need to remember here. First, it is because of God's mercy that we have any hope. Our salvation is not because of our efforts, our morality, or anything that we can bring to the table. Our salvation is based solely and completely on the mercy of God. In Titus chapter 3, it says, He saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. When we begin to think that we are better than the people of the world, we have lost our way. We are saved because of God's great grace. You see, here's the problem that we have today. We have a lot of so-called Christians who are looking at the other side as their enemies. And yet we fail to understand that it is only apart from the grace of God, the mercy of God, that we would be right where they are. Understand. Hear my heart. It doesn't matter who you are. Your only hope is the mercy of God. And so, you don't look at the people whose lifestyles or politics or whatever else are different than yours and look at them with suspicion and, and hatred and animosity. No. You look at them with love. And you are willing to do whatever it takes to proclaim to them the love that you have discovered through Jesus Christ because you know that was your only hope and you know it will be their only hope. But then second, this mercy, it gives us a fresh start, a new beginning, a second birth. We're now a part of God's family. God's given us a do-over. We were born into the family of Adam, separated, sinners. And yet God said, now, because of my rich mercy and grace, you can be a part of my family. And with that comes all of the privileges that come with that. And that leads to the third truth. And that is this. We have a priceless inheritance awaiting us in the future. Follow along as I read verses 4 and 5. It says, and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure, undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. What we have to look forward to is not of this world. Peter says that we have a priceless inheritance awaiting us in heaven. Notice the words that Peter uses here. He uses the word kept beyond the reach of change or, or decay. 
In other words, what God promises for us in the future is secure. We can't lose it, and he will never remove it. It's safe and secure, and understand it's better than anything we will ever experience in this life. And that's our problem. We look at all the the, the toys and we look at all the trinkets that this world can give us and we think that the toys and the trinkets of this world are so great and they're, they're not. They're nothing compared to what God has in store for us. You see, what Peter is saying is this. He's saying salvation began in eternity past when God chose you to be his own. Salvation continued on the cross as Jesus paid the price for our sins by shedding his blood so that we could be forgiven. But our salvation will never be fully realized until we see him face to face and everything is made new. And I got to tell you, I'm looking forward to that day. Because everything down here is flawed. And everything down here will always be flawed. The love that we experience, the things that we have, everything. So what's the result? What's the result of standing firm in the midst of trials? Because that's what Paul is, Peter is talking about here. How do we stand firm? How do we stay true? How do we rejoice in the midst of these fiery trials? Well, listen to what he says in verse 7 again. He says, so when your faith remains strong through many trials... It will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus is revealed to the whole world. There's coming a day when the whole world will know who Jesus is. The world doesn't know now. Most of the world has rejected him. But there is coming a day when everybody will know who Jesus is. There's coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And the Bible says here that if you and I remain firm, if we stand true, if we hold on, then on that day, before all the world, we will receive praise and glory and honor from our Lord Jesus Christ. Can you imagine that? Is there any other honor greater than that to stand before the one who died for you and him look at you and say, well done? good job you stood tall you stayed true you didn't give up you didn't lose faith you held on it's coming today and that's what we live for now listen to how Peter rounds out this section in verses 8 through 12 I just want you to listen to these verses he says, you love him even though you have never seen him. That's us. We haven't seen him. We weren't privileged like Peter to, to see Jesus face to face, to walk with him, to eat with him, to, to travel with him. But we love him. Though you do not see him now and you trust him. We haven't seen him, but we trust him. We're staking our lives on who he is and what he's done and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. 
The reward for trust in him will be the salvation of your souls. Because we trust him not just for salvation, but in life we're going to be saved. This salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterwards. They were told that their message was not for themselves, but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And then listen how he ends. It is all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. Did you get that? In the unseen realm, all around us as we worship, as we live, the angels are watching us flesh out our faith. And they are amazed. So what about it? I don't know what 2021 holds. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I had to tell you, I know what I'm living for. And it's not down here. And it can't be found here. I'm living for something that has not yet been seen. And that's what we're supposed to live for as followers of Jesus. We're not immigrants. We're not tourists. We're aliens living in a hostile world, seeking to make the world a better place while we're here. So here's what I want to ask you to do. As we begin this series in 2021, make a commitment. Live different. Live different. Live different. And live differently has nothing to do with your political party. Hear me. has everything to do with living for Jesus. Live different. Would you bow your head? Close your eyes. With your head bowed with your eyes closed, I want to ask you to just take a minute or two. Just make a few commitments to the Lord and then I'm going to pray. Father God, forgive me for the times that I've gotten too cozy and comfortable with this world. Forgive me for the times that I've thought that there could be any hope found in this world. Father, I pray today as a corporate body, we will make the commitment to live as aliens. Recognizing this world is not our home, it never will be. While we're here, we, we live for you. We proclaim your kingdom. We tell people the good news. Father, I pray that 2021 will be a breakthrough year for the church.
I ask you, Jesus, to bring revival to the church in America. We are in desperate need. seems more often than not we've lost our way bring us back to the core truths I pray in Jesus name